Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or Friday evenings, of course, on RTE Radio. My name is Dusty Rhodes. You're welcome to show number 922. Joining me as always is our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson. Of course, the big story of the week this week, Niall, is Apple. The WWDC uh, conference has started and we have the keynote speech. Did it impress? Did it impress? Well, do you know what? Um... I didn't watch it live, but it was the first live event that they've done in a couple of years. Um, so it had kind of an interesting vibe, a little bit of mm. back to school about it for mm. me. Um, and yeah, I thought it was okay. Maybe <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> so basically, you're telling me that you weren't impressed. Well, I'm telling you that, you know, as as live events go, like, I mean, it didn't leave me, you know, pumped for Apple or anything like that. I was just kind of like, oh yeah, that's kind of what it was like. We, we, we had a load of announcements. Of course, we had a new, new, new hardware, which is the one that always mm. catches my eye with the, uh, the MacBooks. Uh, we had a new iPad OS, Mac OS, um, all that kind of stuff. Which one of these things impressed you the most? Yeah, well, let's talk about the new uh, MacBook Airs with the M2 chip, because mm. this is kind of, kind of your wish list device in a sense. Because when we were talking about the M1 and we were talking about, okay, this is actually leaving Intel and AMD for dust. This is something that's built specifically for Mac hardware. This is this is the future. This is it. You're going to get a Mac. You're going to get something with uh, an incredible performance improvement. And you said, ho-ho, ho-ho. As with anything, do not buy the first generation. Go with the second. So... Having seen the new MacBook Airs in all their glory with the M2 processor, has your mind been changed? I would say yes when you put it in that particular context because no, don't buy the first iteration, buy the second iteration. So I would say that I'm not impressed in that basically they've just refined it. But I would say that I am impressed in that if you were to buy your first ever MacBook Air with an M processor in it, this is the one to get. Okay, so you would go straight to the M2. Oh, absolutely. Um, and absolutely. let's let, let's start with the bad news. I mean, they, they're starting at 1500 euro, a little over 1500 euro. That's the problem. That is that the problem. That is the problem because yeah. I got a very good laptop for 900 euro, not, mm-hmm. not, not a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And you know what? For 900 euro, you can get a lot of machine. For, yep. you know, 1500 and change, you would want to be getting an awful lot of machine. And that's, you know, it's 13.6 inches. Uh, I mean, it's nice that it's got a MagSafe charger adapter. Not that we haven't seen that before, but it's back. Pretty happy about it. Um, Magic Touch keyboard. Yeah. I mean, welcome to the family. We've had that for ages now. Um, 10 HP Faith. I mean, if you look at it, you're like, this is an awful lot like last year, except for the processor, you know? Exactly. Yes, but at least they have changed the MacBook Air and they've changed the shape of it, which I don't like. I prefer the the wedge design. But anyway, that's that's only a small thing. They make it a big thing about full size function keys at the top. That doesn't really bother me. You know, the half size ones were perfect. Um, Yada, yada, yada. Uh, The price increase, I think, would absolutely put me off. The one that's disappointing is the MacBook Pro because they've put an M2 processor into the MacBook Pro. And other than that, made no changes. Yeah. Yeah. So you you might as well just buy a MacBook Air. (laughs) 
That's a good point. That's a good yeah. point. I mean, unless they expect people just to go for the extra screen real estate. Mm. Uh, I mean, the you know, the the first generation M1 uh, MacBook Air had a 13-inch screen. The second gen, mm. they've actually added uh, another 0.6 inches onto it and they've added um four cores to the GPU. So, you know, that's where your that's where your bump is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think you're right. Uh I think I think MacBook Pro users have been pretty hard done by in terms of the level of innovation for their product of choice. It just seems like the MacBook Air is, you know, the the favorite child at the moment, probably because mm. Apple think they'll shift an awful lot more of them, which they're mm. absolutely right in thinking, to be honest. And the um, the 16-inch screen on the MacBook Pro seems to be the only thing that would make you want to go, I really need, mm. you know, a big well, MacBook Pro. If you need that kind of horsepower, yeah, you go that way. I'll tell you one thing that worries me. Not, it doesn't worry me about the MacBook Pro, but it's an interesting. You said you got a new computer lately. I got a new laptop over the weekend as well. It was on sale at Curry's. Uh, and it is the, uh, what's you call it? This I got the Samsung um, Book 2 Pro. There you go. Their naming convention is just absolutely awful. But I'll tell you what I liked about it, right? Mm. Uh, the MacBook Air, all right, as we know, is a really light machine, okay? Mm. The new yeah. one is even lighter than the, than the old one. It's 1.22 ki- uh, kilograms, all right? Mm. Uh, the Samsung that I picked up at the weekend, 0.85. Wow. Wow. All right, that's 300 plus 300, maybe even 400 grams lighter. Now, that might not seem like you kind of go, ah, that's the weight of a Mars bar or something like that. Like, you know, but listen, when you start carrying those things around with you for work all day, every day, or for school or for college, it makes a difference. You notice. And, you know, my one came with it came with a stylus that attaches magnetically to the side of the, the laptop, yep. which is kind of cool. It came with a rotating screen. You know, it's uh, it came with a fingerprint sensor and it's only all, slightly all heavier. Yeah. All of these things that the MacBook Air doesn't do. So, yeah, mm. I think I think it's not the darling child. And, and do you know what else I noticed during the presentation was they were saying it's X percent faster. OK. Yeah. And then in, now, if I'm not mistaken, Looking at what they were actually comparing it to, it was an eighth gen Intel processor. Hmm. I'm kind of going, all of the modern Intel processors are 12th gen. Yeah. <laughs> so look look at my new color television. It's got a billion more color televisions than the one I had in 1965, <laughs> which was black and white. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, you're, you're stretching the point, but I see where you're coming from. Okay, let's talk about what else that they had. Uh, iPad, iOS, they made a big thing on the lock screen. Were you impressed, not impressed? Uh, increased customization on the lock screen. Seemed to be borrowing a trick from Android, which is what the buzz is. Mm. Uh, personally, I don't care. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of things that I own an iPhone for, uh, that I own an iPhone FOR for, mm-hmm. um, because I just don't care about other stuff. Like, it's it's the simplicity of Apple products that has yeah. always kept me in the loop. Yeah. And to, to have sort of endless customizations on things is like, you're selling me things that I don't want in an Apple product. Yeah. I, I was thinking exactly the same thing. These are all things that I don't need. It's it's nice that they're there, but I never asked for them. Yeah. Um, like no, nobody came up to me with, uh, you know, an Android device and said, can you customize my home screen? Yeah. I mean, you can do it. But the uh, no, the who cares? The, the other thing that made me laugh about iPad uh, iOS was the shared photo library, and I just went, "There's a disaster waiting to happen." 
<laughs> like seriously you know what I mean like you know you, you could be a kid who's off somewhere uh, with somebody or somewhere that you shouldn't be and it accidentally goes into the shared photo library you could be a husband or a wife off somewhere yeah. or with somebody that you shouldn't be oh no thanks no I definitely don't want that uh, Mac OS the Ventura uh, the, they made a big thing about the stage didn't impress me I'll tell you what did impress me okay CarPlay aha now, I, I think CarPlay this year is really interesting mm. and mostly it's down to advances in cars mm. and Apple taking advantage of it rather than Apple going, do you know what you people need? You need a better entertainment management system. Yeah. It wasn't Which, so much that. What I liked about it was, and, and it looked more like a concept than anything else. And they're talking mm. about cars rolling out next year, but it would, takes up the entire dash of where your actual mm. dashboard is. And you're able to customize what kind of a speedometer you will have and other information. And I love the fact that it would have the rev count on one side, the speedometer on the other, and then it would have your map in the middle mm. to tell you where to go. I just thought that looked deadly cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a good UI thing and good use of just where car technology is at the moment. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's it's not a big ask to to you know customize your your well, dashboard this way. That's, that's the way we're going. And like the EU announced today that uh, they are uh, all cars. That you you will not be able to buy a petrol car in the EU in uh, twelve years time, twenty thirty five. Right. Okay. That's it. It'll all be electric from 2035 uh, onwards. The most impressive thing for me of all, mm-hmm. Apple Pay Later. Yeah, here we go. Now, this is, uh, and side note, um, Apple App, Apple's deal over Apple Pay is mani- well managed. It's in conjunction with, which bank is it? Goldman Sachs? Yeah. And... By doing what they're doing with Apple Pay later, they are stepping away slightly from that agreement and going more into their own kind of financial services. So tell us, tell us uh, how it works. Uh, Well, basically what they're saying is that if you make a large purchase, what you can do is you can pay for it over four payments uh, across six weeks instead of having to pay it all in one go. Uh, You will have to be pre-approved. And as you say, Apple are moving away from Goldman, like they did with their own processors with uh, with Intel. Uh, They're Mm. bringing it all in-house. So they're bringing Apple Pay in-house and they're lending you money if you're a pre-approved customer. And I think that's like a cha-ching, 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 ching, ching, ching. Yeah. Well, do you do you know what this sounds like? Um, a, a certain retail chain uh, on the high street has mm. their own sort of credit facility mm. um, where you fill out their thing. And I had to buy something from from this crowd once, and I, I consider myself somewhat financially responsible, mm. and uh, put in all all the stuff, and they wouldn't give me credit. They sent me an email back going, "Sorry, we're not giving you credit on your forty euro purchase that you're that you're going to make." <laughs> Well, and I just come on, you don't go hang. Fill this thing out. Uh, yeah, I know. Listen, all of those financial institutions, they would drive you absolutely nuts. That's uh, that's Apple. There was one side note, actually, and maybe not such good news for Apple uh, this week uh, from the EU. Great news for us as consumers. Thank you very much, EU. Uh, uh, Apple are being browbeaten into adopting USB C as the default uh, charging standard. Uh, brilliant. I mean, everybody else is going to be using it. Apple's argument forever has been that, hey, we've got lightning. It's our own way of doing things. It's our own way of innovating. If you make us adopt a common standard, it's going to affect the pace at which we innovate. Yawn. The, the irony of it all is that 
nothing will be USB-C soon anyway. It'll all be charging via uh, wireless methods and well, wireless headphones and all that kind of stuff. That's an interesting point because mm. if everything, I mean, Apple have been really touting their MagSafe safe stuff and there's an awful lot of third-party MagSafe chargers out there. Mm. So if people are charging wirelessly, well then, yeah, you're right. USB-C won't be that big a deal because people will be using MagSafe. So we wait and see. But anyway, bravo to the EU for now. I'm not so sure about the EU saying that you have to buy an electric car by 2035. When I said that, say, 12, 13 years away, that kind of scared me a little. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In, in the grand scheme of things, that's not that far away. Ah, well. Anyway, listen, there we go. That is the news for this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters, and more at our website, techcentral.ie. <laughs> This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Gaming technology has made it easier than ever to create virtual spaces that are not only accurate to look at, but also to engage with. It's getting to the point now where a city's digital twin, as it were, can be as vibrant as the real thing. Professor Rosen Deo is a professor of computer science at Maynooth University and a principal investigator at the ADAPT Centre for AI-Driven Digital Content Technology. And she had a chat with Niall Kitzinger the week about creating digital twins of the towns we know so well. One of your principal interests is in making virtual spaces. Uh, so first of all, it begs the question, what do you need or what are the challenges of creating uh, a convincing uh, virtual space. Um, so there are different usage of virtual spaces, and the one that most people might be familiar with is with computer games. So um, in computer games, you can actually create your own environment to play in. And the question is how to generate it. So do you do have tools to generate this virtual environment? The problematic becomes when you try to create a very realistic environment or something that actually mimic a real environment that exists. So that's what we call a digital twin, for instance. Um, so nowadays technology that I use for that is to take real pictures of an environment that we want to mimic and to use uh, deep learning or artificial intelligence uh, uh, algorithm for creating automatically a 3D environment uh, that would be suitable for um, either for creating virtual visits or for computer for creating um, a playground for computer games. That's kind of uh, uh, an interesting parallel you've uh, introduced there with games and gaming. Um, one of the things I particularly enjoy about world building in computer games is that sort of artistic representation of places that we already know. Um, so where do you see your work fitting in with this? Is it, you know, the simple recreation uh, or is it, okay, let's create a baseline for a city. And if somebody wants to go off and use that as a, a template for world building from a fairly uh, accurate base, uh, is that where you see some of your work um, um, going? So part of my work has been about digital twins. So really trying to replicate a virtual environment that would copy our real environment. So there are plenty of applications for that. Uh, one of which is autonomous driving. You really want your cars to learn to drive properly uh, before you actually put uh, the car on the real road. So you, you want to use a virtual environment for them, uh, for those, those um, robotic devices, those autonomous vehicles uh, to learn to drive um, safely. 
So that's one application of having a digital twin. And those digital twins are not just buildings, they are also peoples, right? So you need to simulate the real behavior of people as they cross the road, for instance. That's really interesting, and uh, the idea of using digital twins as a, a way of developing and modeling uh, how our cities can become more efficient. Uh, in looking at, at cities, did you take away any particular learnings uh, coming out of projects that you said, you know, what? I, I never would have thought of that. I mean, that's, you know, traffic flows, um, coming up with, with ways to make cities more navigable, ways in which that uh, people integrate with uh, municipal services that, that perhaps you wouldn't have thought about uh, before a project like this. So we had a project, an FP7 project, uh, EU project uh, with France that was about looking at uh, making news of uh, uh, pictures that are posted on social media, in particular Twitter as an example. Um, so people put a picture put some words to describe that picture or their feeling about that picture. And usually there is a GPS tag and a timestamp associated with it. Um, so we use this type of information, one, to know what people feel about their environment, but also to know uh, um, more or less where people are um, in the space. So um, we can create some mock trajectories, if you like, of pedestrian as they move through uh, these cities. So that can be used more or less as a proxy for creating an environment where we have a realistic behavior of a pedestrian in the place. Um, and we use also photograph uh, for creating mock uh, uh, replica of buildings. So uh, in, in looking at these uh, recreated pedestrian flows, what kind of um, sort of behavioral data were you, were you looking at? I mean, you, you, you've mentioned there looking at uh, pictures for geolocation and also for a, a kind of sentiment analysis. So how did, uh, what sort of learnings did you take away from the idea of the, the city's user experience? So uh, using social media, there were several ideas. One idea was that uh, you land in a city that you don't know and you, you just wonder where where to go for fun or for uh, discovering cultural uh, element of that cities. And of course, you would go to the tourist information center to give you some clues. Uh, but sometimes there are um, new events that emerge that are not registered with the tourist information center and maybe social media is giving you that up-to-date information. So what we discovered, for instance, uh, that was near Tampa Bar here in Dublin, was that uh, people were paying attention to uh, a painting on a mural uh, on a wall uh, that suddenly emerged, right? So that would not have been <laughs> pointed out by the tourist information center for you to go and see. Um, but people uh, reacted on Twitter uh, with this new uh, painting appearing on the wall. Um, so this uh, geolocation uh, and this sentiment analysis, as you mentioned, uh, is telling you, you know, the things that are happening in your city and that might be interesting for you. So that was just one example that we discover as we uh, uh, analyze the data um, in a particular area. And that was Dublin city center that we, that we look into. We look at Rome. We look at Pittsburgh. Um, so uh, looking at what people are taking photographs of is telling you what people 
feel is visually appealing in their city and in their environment. Conversely, they also react to what they don't like. So uh, if you're unfortunate and you land in a city where there is suddenly a strike of um, trash collection, for instance, people will react to that, right? If there is uh, suddenly as well a weather event, like uh, a lot of rain creating floods in your street, people react to that. So all these type of reaction um, um, are coming through social media and analyzing that automatically uh, provide clues for uh, uh, making suitable um, decision. And in particular, when it comes to flood, uh, you just want uh, emergencies uh, to be on alert. So you can have a, 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 an ex- a situation where an appraisal of the city is updated uh, pretty much in real time. So it, it is sort of vastly superior to having to go to that tourist kiosk if, uh, as you say, maybe a piece of street art has appeared that, that has an immediate viral buzz about it. Do you see people maybe using digital twins as a kind of primer to actually going on holidays to be able to sort of roam around somewhere and go, you know, I'd like to see that in, you know, in person, or I'd I'd really like to see this sort of uh, upfront, or I wonder if there's any additional details here that I'm missing out on. Do you think this could be a, a, a new model of tourism, if you will? Um, so virtual visit, um, exists, right. And, um, uh, it has been done in, in several places, right? Uh, um, and I think, I think they work. Uh, and in particular for places that you need to, um, you, you need to prevent many people to go and see. So I'm, I'm just thinking of, you know, um, um, case where you have very, very, very old paintings <laughs> where, you know, you need to keep the, uh, um, the air very cool, um, and to preserve basically, um, the mural that you have there that are historical or, or prehistorical um, paintings. So the, there are reasons why you would limit access to some areas and only uh, provide the experience to the user through a virtual environment. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. yeah. You've also uh, implied the role of metadata there, particularly when it comes to um, noting that certain attractions require specific conditions uh, in order to be enjoyed. I I think one uh, example would be the Sistine Chapel where they ask you, please don't use flash because it it damages the ceiling. Is this the kind of information you might find attached to a digital twin where you can look at it and go, okay, that's fine. But if you actually want to go here, these are the conditions. So, um, yeah, you can act, uh, attach any kind of metadata. So digital twin uh, can be used as well to record uh, information about how your walls were built, right? Um, the, the the material that we use, uh, in particular, if you want to model res- resilience to earthquake, for instance, it might be very relevant. Um, so digital twin can be used as well to create simulation of whatever event you want, so earthquake or or whatever climate um, um, extreme event that can happen in the future. So those digital twin are used as a, a, a simulation playground just to make sure that your services will be able to respond when the real things actually happen. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that's a, a fascinating point about using digital twin as a, a sandbox for modeling 
uh, natural calamities or like a, an extreme weather event. Uh, have you had much engagement with municipal authorities on this or the potential for this kind of technology to go, okay, well, look, you might think this is going to happen, but our model suggests that you're going to have a, an issue either now or further down the line in these particular parts of the city? Um, well, when it comes to flooding, I know some of my colleagues in the Hamilton has been working on looking at the, the sea level rising. That was actually in the press recently. Um, so we know that maybe 20, 2050 to, um, or 2100, uh, there might be areas of the cities in Dublin that might be flooded, for instance. Um, so all this come from uh, numerical models and simulation that are done uh, uh, using the landscape associated with with uh, uh, with Ireland and in particular in that example that was Dublin again. And of course, I imagine that when one is constructing a digital twin, you, you need that constant flow of data uh, from either social data or, you know, uh, official data or open data. So how do you see these spaces being managed? Um, so at the moment, right, uh, those digital twin more or less exist in different areas, but they are not connected. So, um, for instance, there is more... Um, um, models that are available for people who are working on, uh, you know, the cables or everything that is underground. So it can be electricity, water that connects house, for instance. Um, so you need to know where these uh, pipes are in the ground. So people use mixed reality. So they have a digital twin available and they can overlay that digital twin onto um, the street that they need to operate on and be sure that they are digging in the right place and not at the wrong place, right? To just to go and uh, uh, fixing the pipe that they need to fix or adding something new uh, in that um, uh, particular area without damaging what is already there, right? Um, so in terms of uh, infra infrastructure uh, management and maintenance, uh, all those ideas of um, digital twin um, uh, already is more or less in use. When you, you build a new building, uh, you do have as well um, a 3D model that is already available and made before the building is actually built. Um, so, but at the moment, you know, everyone is doing their own thing, if you like, and there is no um, link in between those areas. So uh, in between the building industry, uh, the cities that are managing the city um, and um, uh, the like of um, um, Facebook and Google that are working in the area of the metaverse that you mentioned. Uh, but also uh, Google works a lot with uh, GIS tools. So we remember Google Earth, for instance, uh, or Google Street View, which are, you know, uh, bridging a gap in between, you know, this idea of 3D representation versus images, right? Uh, and digital twin as uh, a virtual environment recreating the real environment. A little bit of blue sky thinking here. So do you see a digital twin as uh, working maybe on the, the following model where you would have a standard municipal model based on open data and then maybe additional data being added as layers by different organizations, say, you know, broadband providers uh, or, um, you know, water providers would charge for access to their own particular um, twin services, if you will. So you might get uh, a picture of a road 
um, through, you know, a, a, a municipal service. But if you want to get underneath, you would have to get access to data from, say, Irish Water or Air or any other company that owns a particular service that isn't uh, linked up to the cities. Is that something you can see happening? Maybe that, you know, workmen uh, in telecoms might only need access to, okay, I want to see what the telecoms infrastructure here is. I don't need to see uh, what the water situation is. Uh, yeah, I, I think that will come. And I think um, that should be led by by um, the state on our behalf, more or less. Um, um, if you think back at autonomous driving, you don't want the car to have access to different type of information. They need to have access equally to the right map or the right digital twin, you know, the most correct one, the most accurate one. Cause you don't, you know, you, you don't want just your car to have the best information possible to avoid any potential incident. Uh, you want all the cars around to benefit from, you know, the best information possible. Does that make sense? Yeah. And uh, in managing traffic, you've also got the issue of managing public transportation uh, on top of that as well. So you're not just dealing with traffic flow, you're dealing with the availability of buses and trains and seeing if things are running on time. Exactly, exactly. So um, um, you need a certain level of service that are controlled at the the state state level, I would say, um, because they are critical. Uh, element of our infrastructure. So water, electricity, transportation, all that uh, needs to be completely uh, overseen uh, uh, more or less at the state level because, you know, ultimately they're responsible. We are voting for them to make the right decision for us. So, <laughs> but but around those, those things, um, there will be, you know, an ecosystem um, providing uh, additional services associated with um, any kind of uh, uh, services that you, you might be interested in. Um, so that can be to, you know, all the services in your neighborhood, um, that, uh, that you, that you want to benefit from. Um, so it's difficult to figure out what is going to the, to be the future of that interaction. I kind of see some element of that emerging, uh, um, at the moment, um, our tax money is used to actually collect a lot of data from uh, IIL imagery, from satellite imagery. Uh, to some level, there is also street view imagery that is collected uh, by the state uh, to figure out this, you know, the, the uh, you know, the geography of the country. Um, uh, in terms of land use, for instance, for agriculture. So that's just not cities <laughs> and streets, um, but really looking at the wool ecosystem um, and see how we can um, um, have a good view of what is happening now such that we can prepare for the next 10 to the next 20 years. So this collection of data is usually done on a regular basis and usually done at the state level. And the question is what to do with it. So usually there is the demand from the state, right? Uh, the public bodies that need some specific information extracted from it. But then around it, there are an ecosystem of startups that try to figure out what sort of other values can be, um, can be um, um, extracted from those, right? Um, so for instance, an example is that now we can see from IEL imagery if you do have solar panels or not on your roof. So it means that if you don't, then someone can go and try to propose you to install solar panel on your roof. 
right? So provide you a particular service because we know that analyzing those data, you don't have those things yet. So, um, so, so you see it creates opportunity, uh, knowledge provide opportunities. So the question is to make the, the difference or the distinction in what is critical uh, at the level of the countries. Uh, so it's critical to kind of be sure that transportation works, emergency works, um, uh, electricity works and, and so on. Uh, but then, uh, you know, there are other services that can be taken on by uh, private bodies or companies uh, and that can emerge from the availability of those um, digital twin. And that was Professor Roseanne Dale chatting with Niall Kitson. For more on the work being carried out by the ADAPT Centre, do visit their website at adaptcentre.ie. That's it for our show this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie and of course you can listen to us each week online or Fridays with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Nile Kitson. Thanks as always for listening and have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.